Uh, now let's uh, turn to God's Word. We're going to, to look at some verses from the book of Colossians. So this morning we're beginning a new study, and it's continuing on the theme of church revitalization, and it's complementary really to the study that we've just finished in Nehemiah. And we saw there in Nehemiah that God was building a people, a new community among the exiles returning to Jerusalem. And the physical rebuilding of the city was one thing, but the spiritual rebuilding of the people was another. And in this next series, we'll focus on the marks of a healthy church, the marks of a healthy church. What are the marks of a community that is built by God? What are the areas that are absolutely vital to church health? And as we go through this study together, are these marks evident in this community, in this church, in Hebron? How do we score on a spiritual health check against Scripture? So this week, the first mark of a healthy church is the centrality of Christ. Is Christ truly the centerpiece of this church? So to help us look at this theme, I want to focus our thoughts from the book of Colossians, and I'm going to take as our text a verse from chapter 3, and it's verse 11. Now you may want to keep your Bibles open, because I'm going to uh, refer to one or two verses uh, from the book. But let's read chapter 3, verse 11. Paul says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian and Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And that's our text. Christ is all and in all. Paul here in verse 10, he's talking about the new creation. When a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they become a new creation, a new creature. Or as Paul describes them here, a new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of their creator, Jesus Christ. And here's the point that Paul is making in this verse. That in Christ, barriers are broken down. The things that divide us, whether it be racial barriers, Greek and Jew, non-Jews, Jews, whether it be religious barriers, circumcised and uncircumcised, whether it be cultural barriers, barbarian and Scythian, or social barriers, slave and free. He has made us new creatures. He has brought us into a new family, a new community, where barriers are removed, and Christ is all and in all. J.C. Ryle uh, the former bishop of Liverpool, I enjoy his writings. I, I quote him quite, uh, quite frequently, but he says this. He says, these three words, Christ is all, are the essence and substance of Christianity. Christ is the mainspring of doctrinal and practical Christianity. He that follows after holiness will make no progress until he gives to Christ his rightful place. 
And that's our theme. Does Christ have his rightful place in my life? So I want to take this text, I want to divide it into two parts, and I want to structure our study around uh, each of them. So the first part, Christ is all. Paul, in this letter to the Colossian church, he puts on display the preeminence of Christ. Christ is all. We're going to think about that. And then the second part of the text, Christ is in all. And from this, we're going to think about our identity. Our identity in Christ, who we are as Christians. And to focus on what it really means to live the Christian life as someone who is in Christ. In Christ. And then we'll pull these two strands together and we'll think about what this means practically for church revitalization in Hebron. So let's think, first of all, the preeminence of Christ. Christ is all. Paul here is writing to a church. He's writing to the church at Colossae. It was a city located in modern Turkey. And this church is is plagued by false teachers. And their false teaching has been diluting Christ. In chapter 2, verse 8, Paul warns the church not to be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. You see, these false teachers, they were peddling a potent cocktail of philosophy, asceticism, that is disciplining your body, mysticism in verse 18, worshipping angels, or in verse 20, submitting to rules and regulations. And the effect of all this false teaching was to dilute Christ. To put it simply, Christ is not enough. Christ is insufficient. They were either adding to Christ, imposing the observance of religious regulations, whether it be uh, through diet or the observance of the festive days, or they were detracting from Christ through mysticism, the worship of angels, detracting from the person of Christ. And here was a church that was in danger of losing its focus on Christ. Here was a church that needed to be revitalized. And so where does Paul begin? He begins by drawing them back to the riches and the fullness of the person and work of Christ. Now let's read from chapter 1, verse 15. These verses are just full. They're just saturated with the preeminence of Christ. Firstly, in relationship to God, Paul writes, verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God. This is who He is. His essential nature. This is not mere likeness. Look at verse 19. For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is essentially God. And He is the revelation of God in all His fullness. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to see God, look at Jesus Christ. If you want to hear God, listen to Jesus Christ. But it's also about His preeminence in relation to creation. 
Still in verse 15, Paul says, He is the firstborn of all creation. Now, the language is very precise. It's nothing to do with first as in time or as in date. It's first as in rank and honor. Uh, He is preeminent over all creation. Why? Because he's the creator. There's no thought here that Christ is a created being. Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is the purpose of creation. But yet there is more. His preeminence in relation to the church is now brought out in verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. You know, the glory of Christ just shines through these verses. You know, it's like being in the jeweler's. Um, If you've ever bought diamonds, maybe you've bought diamonds for your wife or glass. She'll, She'll never know the difference. But if you're in the jeweler, what does the jeweler do? He brings out the black cloth. He puts it on the counter. And then he puts the stones in the cloth. And they just shine. And so here, against the black backdrop of false teaching, a church losing its focus on Christ, Paul brings out the diamond of the person and work of Jesus Christ and the preeminence of Christ, the glory of Christ just shines out. Christ is all. Christ is all. I wonder if you have lost focus of Christ in your life. I wonder if we have lost focus of Christ in our church. Now, the second part of the text is this. Christ is in all. And this has to do with our identity in Christ. This is who we are. What defines us as Christians? We are in Christ. Christ is in all. Now, we live in a world where identity theft is a real issue. It's a real problem. My parents last year uh, were the victim of a a phone phone scam. And a whole team of scammers pretending to be from the fraud team of their bank gained their trust and sadly gained access to their bank account and they stole their identity. They started to empty their savings accounts and they were purchasing goods and they were making transactions all over the place. And it was a worrying time. Here in Colossae, the false teachers were guilty of identity theft. They were stealing the identity of the Christians in that church. They were losing sight of who they were in Christ. Christ is not enough. You need to add to Christ. Whether it's keeping the Jewish dietary uh, laws or 
the festive regulations, or they were taking away from Christ and saying that you need to worship angelic beings, and they were causing them to forget who they were in Christ. And you know, it's a problem that is still rife in churches today. Identity theft. Christians losing sight of who they really are in Christ. And not living in the fullness of their new identity in Jesus Christ. Listen to how Paul puts it in chapter 1 verse 27. He says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, listen to this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. That's who you are. And that everything Christ has done belongs to you. That's an amazing truth. What does that mean? Well, look at what Paul goes on to say in chapter 3. He says in verse 1, you have been raised with Christ. In verse 3, he says you have died with Christ. In verse 4, he says your life is hidden with Christ. You will appear with Christ in glory. It's all because of what Christ has done with Christ. Now look back to chapter 2 and verse 10. You have been filled in Him. In whom the fullness of God dwells. You have been filled in Christ. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying you have everything that you need in Christ. You don't need anything else. You have everything you need in Him. This is who you are, Christian. And it's all because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Christ is in all. You are in Jesus Christ. So have we had our identity stolen? Have we lost sight of who we are in Christ? Are we living in the fullness of Christ? So Paul not only has to refocus the Colossians on the preeminence of Christ, but he also has to help them rediscover their identity of who they are in Christ. And this is what he deals with in chapter 3. And so this brings us now to how do we apply this in our lives and in this church as we think about revitalization. Well, firstly, with regard to the preeminence of Christ, we need to acknowledge and submit to his authority as the head of the church. Now look at verse 19 of chapter 2. Paul here, he's speaking about the false teachers, and he says about them that they were not holding fast to the head. That's Christ. From whom the whole body, every single person in the body, the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, and grows with a growth that is from God. Now, if I can turn that around to a positive in verse 19, Paul is telling us that we need to hold fast to Christ. We need to hold fast to Christ. Keep the focus on Christ. Why? Because it's from Him that the whole body the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, even to its inner core. 
Because real spiritual growth comes from Christ. And there is a danger that revitalization can become mechanical. It can become, you know, a focus on programs and processes. And you end up losing sight of Christ. And the tragedy is there is no spiritual growth in our lives because real growth can only come from God. Now, holding fast to Christ has implications for all of us. First of all, for leaders in the church. Now, look back at chapter 1, verse 28. Paul says, Him is Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Him we proclaim. There is a responsibility, and it's the leader's responsibility to ensure that Jesus is at the center of all preaching and teaching here in Hebron. Christ is the center. That it's Jesus that's exalted. That it's Jesus that is glorified. Paul says warning everyone in the sense of admonishing if that's required. And teaching everyone. Three times over in this verse, Paul mentions everyone. Everyone in the church from children. Through youth to students to families, to singles, to the older generation. Everyone being nourished and built up in Christ through the teaching of the Word. Him we proclaim. Now here's the goal, here's the objective for leaders in the church. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That everyone here in Hebron, no matter what your age, no matter what your stage on the Christian journey, that everyone might be maturing, growing in Jesus Christ. That is real growth. And what a responsibility for leaders. Paul felt this responsibility. Look at verse 29 of chapter 1. He says, For this I toil, struggling, but here's the encouragement, with all his energy with all Christ's energy that he powerfully works within me. Implications for leaders, but there are implications for each one of us. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 6. Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You know, live your life in Him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You know, Paul is saying, live your life in Christ. Sink your roots deep into Jesus Christ, being built up in Him. You know, have, you, have you ever tried digging out a tree in the garden? You know, if that tree has deep roots, then you're going to struggle. It will not be easily dislodged. And I have seen myself numerous times, you know, retreating 
back into the house, bent over double, my back gone because I've not been able to dislodge the roots. How deep are your roots in Christ? How do we walk in Christ? What features characterize the life of a Christian who is living as though he or she is in Christ? Well, this is what Paul deals with in the rest of chapter 3. And um, we don't have time to look at it, obviously, but let me just pick out one or two headlines from chapter 3. You see, this new identity that we have in Christ, it needs a new mentality. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Paul says, if then, or since then, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Listen to this. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Needs a new mentality. Where is your mind set? What do you have your mind set on? Is it earthly things? Is it material things? Is it trivial things? Is it sexual things? Where is your mind set? Paul says it should be set on heavenly things, on the spiritual. Then in verses 5 to 11, Paul goes on to teach that if we are going to walk in Christ, we need to deal with any sin that is manifested in our lives. And in this little section, Paul talks about sin that is manifested in three spheres of our lives. Whether it be sin that is manifested in the private sphere, you know, my thought life, my attitudes. Look at verse 5 of chapter 3. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You know, it's to do with my thoughts, my attitudes. But then in verse 8, sin that is manifested perhaps in the public sphere. And this is maybe more to do with how I behave towards others or how I speak. He says in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Or then in verse 9, sin that is perhaps manifested by how I treat my brothers and sisters in the fellowship. Look at verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You know, we need to get real about any sin that is encroaching upon our lives. Otherwise, revitalization can never happen. And we need to see our sin as God sees it. Look at verse 6 of chapter 3. On account of these, says Paul, the wrath of God is coming. Now where do I see God's attitude to sin most vehemently displayed? Where do I see the wrath of God poured out against sin? Well, I just need to look to the cross of Christ. And it's there. And it's in his blood that he shed. And it's in the pain. And it's in the agony of Christ on the cross as he paid the price for my sin. As he bore my sin in his own body on the cross. 
Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Don't give sin any opportunity in your life. But that's just the negative side. And that in itself is not enough. You see, there has to be a positive. And as well as a putting off, there has to be a putting on. And that's what Paul comes to in verse 12. We have to put on Christ. Put him on display in our lives. Paul says in verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now we're thinking about what should mark a community of God's people who are living as though they really are in Christ. Look at verse 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What's the result of this? Look at verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, that the peace of Christ might rule the church and be thankful. Now you can follow this throughout the rest of the the book of Colossians, and you will see that this permeates through every aspect of my life and your life. Whether that be my marriage In chapter 3, verse 18, and how I love and treat my spouse. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, do not be harsh with them. It affects my role as a parent, my relationship with my children, and children, your relationship with your parents. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. It affects my my work life. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. It permeates through absolutely every aspect of my life. This is what it means to be in Christ. It's not just a thing for Sunday, for church. It covers absolutely everything. Christ is all and in all. This is what it looks like when Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of my life. And then it becomes the mark of a healthy church when Christ is the centerpiece. How does my life measure Is Christ the centerpiece of my life? Is Christ the centerpiece of this church? May God bless his word to each of us today. Let's just close in prayer. Father, we just want to come before you into your presence. We want to worship you for who you are. We want to thank you for Christ who is who is all and in all. We thank you for the fullness of his person, for who Christ is and for what he has done. Father, forgive us if we have lost focus on Christ in our lives. Forgive us if this church has lost its focus on Christ. Father, may we we turn to you 
maybe depend on you as we think about revitalization. Maybe be serious about this in our, in our hearts and maybe look to you to lead us. Father, we just pray for the leaders of this church. We pray for your wisdom, your counsel. We pray for your protection upon this church at that time and pray that you may go before us, that you may be our rear guard, that your protecting hand may be upon us. Father, just minister to us. Help us to see Christ, to put him first. We ask it in his name. Amen.